Greetings, my good people. How are you? How's your Monday going? Getting your day and week off to a solid start, I hope? Well, I'm glad you stopped by to get your sports fix here on the J Reels podcast, as I am your host, J Reels. If this is your first time tuning in, getting a chance to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, not only do I thank you for downloading and taking a chance to listen to this voice, but also to deliver everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And not only do I welcome you aboard, but also for those who have been on this journey with me for the first 37 episodes and now embarking on number 38, I welcome you guys back. Here on a Monday, November the 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2018. And first off, got to give a shout out to all the veterans out there as today we observe Veterans Day in this country. For those who have fought for our land, protected our freedom, the land, etc., Uh, Much thanks, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that, so uh, definitely want to kick off the show on that note. So thank you for all who have fought and battled and have, uh, again, protected our freedom and our land. And, uh, again, it goes without saying how much the thanks doesn't come in droves, I'm sure, when you're out there, but uh, we certainly acknowledge it here. And uh, definitely thank you very much for everything that you do to fight for our country. Lots to discuss here and to get into throughout the course of this uh, program. Let's uh, talk about some of the things, whether it's going to be the big three down in Duke college basketball. I know Jay Real is going to say, wait a minute, you're going to talk about college basketball now? No, we're not going to delve into it crazily. But I'm sure the hot story that has been throughout college basketball has been what's happening down with the Duke Blue Devils, the big three with Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, and R.J. Barrett. We'll get into that a little bit. We even had a prognosticator out there talking about how they're going to go undefeated this year. Let's, yeah, I'll save that for later. The Floyd Mayweather fight, that's not going to happen on New Year's Eve. You know, I'm going to throw my two cents about that. The MLB hot stove this week is the awards that will be handed out starting with the Rookie of the Year today. I believe tonight, what, 6 p.m.? It used to be announced in the afternoon. I guess they pushed it closer to primetime. So we'll all wait with bated breath to see who will be the Rookie of the Year, especially for those who are Yankee fans. Uh, Touching a little bit on college football. Also getting to the NBA, a lot of news and notes coming out of there. Jimmy Butler trade, Carmelo Anthony, what's wrong with the Celtics. We'll get into all of that, but we're going to kick off with the football. And if you're a Jet fan today, I know the first thing you're shouting is fire Todd Bowles. And rightfully so, because yesterday was as pathetic of a performance that you have probably seen the Jets put forth in quite some time. And I get that. People will look at, well, hey, Jerry Reels, did you watch the Jets last year? Did you watch them in 2016? Did you see what happened in the final game in 2015 in Buffalo when they had a shot to go to the postseason and they let it slip right through their hands? And all the other games that have happened pretty much in between and beyond and beyond that. Because when I think of the Bills and the Jets, especially at, well, the Meadowlands area, because we have to go back to the old Meadowlands for those who remember that crazy game in October I believe it was, what, 37-14 where the Bills won, where they started fires. There was a smoke bomb in the upper deck, and they had that big, giant pumpkin instead of a beach ball that they were bouncing around. Well, guess what? Images of that popped in my head when I saw the final score of 41-10, and knowing that this Buffalo Bill team, which as we've talked about on the podcast from time to time, they are inept offensively, anemic at best. They have scored a total of 33 points in the last four games. They had eight total touchdowns in their first nine games. And yesterday, it was touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And it wasn't even into 
main players. It wasn't as if Shady McCoy was rushing in the ball for touchdowns every five seconds or any of their wideouts. No. It was guys off the practice squad. It was guys that were eligible receivers that were offensive linemen. It was that embarrassing of a performance, not just by the team itself, but by that coaching staff to be so unprepared that this morning, right, those three words pop into your head, fire Todd Bowles. Well, news has come down that none of this is going to happen this week or during their bye, that any talk about the coach is going to be waited for and it's going to be taking place at the end of the season, and rightfully so because even if you bring in another coach, what are they going to do? Firing a coach halfway through or a little bit past the halfway point because the Jets are now 3-7, and seven, there's no way that even in by bringing in Vince Lombardi that the season is going to be turned around. And if you're a Jet fan as frustrated and as angry and as embarrassed that you're feeling, and despite the fact you didn't have your starting quarterback there, he was on the shelf with the sprained foot, but I'm sure it just has you seething to think that the Jet brass, despite the fact that they're going to wait till the end of the season to talk about anything that's going to happen with the coach, that nothing is going to be changed in the immediate future. And I get it. Last week I called for his head. I thought that he was going to be gone, especially with a performance like they – I mean, who would have thought they would have put up only 10 points against a good Bill defense, but just be outclassed, outcoached, outplayed the way they were. You would think that this would have been it for Todd Bowles. But there are two reasons why this isn't taking place, and I just gave you one of them. Sadly, the second one is a big, giant one, and you're going to have to look at the Johnsons, Woody and Chris in particular – to see whether or not that they're either going to show some gumption, show some guts to say, you know what, we're going to have to take a big, giant pill to swallow here in order for us to move on, or are they just going to take the safe route knowing that they're going to have to pay this man two more years as they gave an extension at the end of last year for Todd Bowles and not just say, you know what, Swallow it, move on, and get a new coach in here. Because that is the big hurdle that the owners are going to have to face at the end of the season. Because as much as Bowles doesn't deserve a job, and despite the fact that the players are backing him up, whether it's Jamal Adams saying that nothing rolls, you know, there's nothing wrong with T-Bowles, it's not on him, it's on us, saying all the right things, we get it. But let's face it. With two more years left on that contract, there is no way that Woody and Chris are going to just say, you know what, get this guy out of here, let's bring somebody else in. And I'm sure they're thinking about that today. And they will be thinking about that over the next six weeks to the end of the season. But if they have any pulse of the Jet fan, if they have any pulse of what's going on with this organization, and knowing that they have their quarterback in place, that they have a team that's young, that can be on the rise, and knowing that they need to bring in that right coach they would say, the hell with what we pay, what we owe Todd Bowles for 2019 and 20. Let's get that guy in here. And that would just be an indictment on what these two guys are just totally clueless as to what's happening, not only with this team, the organization, but the town that they play in, knowing that they want this guy out of here. I mean, it, what you saw yesterday was just, you have to avert your eyes. First play of the game. 
Matt Barkley, who was a guy that wasn't even on the roster two weeks ago. Remember Matt Barkley, USC, played on the Eagles a few years back? Yeah, that guy. First play of the game. Let's go down the right sideline to a guy named Robert Foster who was off the practice squad, and he toasts Tremaine Johnson. Tremaine Johnson, yes, that guy that you got from the Rams and you paid whatever it was, 70-some-odd million dollars for who's been an absolute bust. And then the next play, Shady McCoy waltzes right into the end zone. Two plays in, it's 7 nothing. And as Warner Wolf used to say once upon a time, you just turn your sets off there because from that point on, it was just downhill for the Jets. And when you watch this game unfold and you see what Sean McDermott had done, and mind you, he's playing a four-string quarterback, he's playing a practice squad wide receiver, and here he is trying to be creative with his offense, even had a fake punt, which obviously extended a drive, and that was very early in the game. Having his way with the Jet defense to the point where at the end of the first quarter, they were outgained by yardage 186 to 1. This is the Buffalo Bills. Remember what I said just a couple minutes ago where they only had 33 points in the last four games and two wins all year. To put up that type of performance, and we're not trying to say the Jet defense is the sack exchange back in you know the early 80s, but this is where the coaching comes in. This is where it's just completely inexcusable of Todd Bowles uh, you can't just put on defensive coordinator. I know obviously he hasn't been there considering he's had this illness and hopefully he's feeling a lot better, Casey Rogers. But where is the fire? Where is the preparation? And you would think with Matt Barkley, this is the second time this year that he's done that, Coach Bowles, where he's hasn't been prepared for a quarterback in a game where it just completely – gone away from any type of game plan that he could come up with on the fly. Meaning that, oh, okay, well, we were expecting Nathan Peterman, but here's Matt Barkley. All right, well, this is what we know of Matt Barkley. Let's just try to play him straight up. Let's try to you know stop Shady McCoy, and then hopefully we could go ahead and attack him, get some pressure. But no, Barkley comes in here, and you would think that uh, you know he's on his way to the postseason. And the other game earlier this year was when they knocked out Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland, and Baker Mayfield came in, and Jet fans, I don't need to remind you about what happened uh, after that. It's just a disgrace to think that this team, whereas we've said from time and time again, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record here. You just want a progression. You just want to be able to say, we're not going to go to the playoffs. We understand we're 5-11 and in the last two years, but we want to be competitive. We want to try to get a couple wins more on the ledger to go into next season, whether we're Seven nine, hey, pie in the sky, eight and eight, and then go into twenty nineteen and all guns are blazing with a hundred million under the cap and let's go. But as you see it right now, with the way this is going, and you still have six more games left. Six. It's not like this is week fifteen. And the crazy thing is, you haven't played the Patriots yet. You still gotta go to Tennessee, which actually land based at the Patriots yesterday. So you still have three games there. You got to go to Buffalo where, hey, if you want any type of revenge, but who knows, Buffalo could probably start me a quarterback in that game and I'll be just as successful as Matt Barkley was yesterday. So if you're the Jets and you kind of wonder if this is going to be a slam dunk that Bulls has gone at the end of the year, just remember that two-year extension. Now, granted, is Bulls getting paid $5 million a year? No, he's not. 
But does that regime want to look at those next two years, knowing whatever it is that they're going to pay him? If I had to take a guess, I don't know. He's got to be paying anywhere two to three million a year, six million. You figure an NFL franchise, they should just that's a pittance. Well, you never know. They may look at it and say, well, hey, let's at least just give him next year. You know, Donald got hurt. Uh, our team is still not in flux, but it, it's still developing. It's still not where we want it to be. If it was a team where we wanted it to be and he wasn't, you know, coaching up to standard, then we have a reason to let him go. Who knows? That front office may be in denial, thinking that, hey, we got this guy for two more years. Let's give him at least that one more year. We're not going to extend his contract just to save face and know that they don't want to have egg on their face considering that they made this move at the end of last year, which was a joke, and I understand he would have been a lame duck coming into this year, but did you have to give him two years? Knowing that this guy since the end of the 2015 season, I believe his record is somewhere in the vicinity of, I have to take off the top of my head, like 13 and 30? Because that's where you're at, Jet fans. And that's one thing you have to think of right now. As much as you want, Bulls his head on the platter and say, oh, I want him out of here. I want him fired. And then you hear the news come down today that it's not going to be addressed until at the end of the season. And, oh, what do you mean? This is a disgrace. This, he's got to be out now. And, right. And you understand that. But just remember those two years that they gave him at the end of last year. So you know what? Curse out your owners for doing that. Because that's where it begins and ends. And if he's on that sideline for 2019, that is it. That's the caveat. Those two years. And they'll give him next year. Because they figured that if he goes in the next year with some more weapons and whatever money that they have under the cap, that they could go into next season and say, all right, well, hey, here are the players. You need to coach your rear end off and hopefully get us, if not to the playoffs, but to a winning record. And if he doesn't do that, then they could justify him being fired and they could pay him the one year, sayonara, and that's it. But two years, I don't know. But I tell you, it was just nightmarish to think how that game unfolded if you're a Jet fan. It was probably the worst thing you could ever imagine because now for the rest of this year, whatever Todd Bowles does, he could look cross-eyed and you want him out of here. So no matter what he does, unless he goes 6-0, and which we know that's not happening, there is no way, shape, or form that this fan base is going to want to tolerate him standing there on the sidelines and giving the same dry answers week after week after week until this season woefully finally ends. And that's what you have with the Jets. I wish I could give you better answers. I wish I could say, yeah, I want him out of here. I know the fans and everybody else, they, they want to drive him back to Arizona where he came from as a defensive coordinator a few years back. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I could see. I don't trust Woody. I don't trust Chris Johnson to fire this man at the end of the year. I, I mean, listen, now if they go 0-6 and get embarrassed along the way, then they have no choice. And if they certainly don't fire him then, I mean, huh, they should just sell the franchise which we know that's not happening. And then lastly, what does that leave for the GM as far as Mike McCagney is concerned? I would think that McCagney probably survives this because, again, as I've said, with the way their salary cap is and having a ton of money, the only thing that you would hope, and I understand this is more of a question for the end of the year as you reevaluate and move forward, but the one question that you'd have to ask if you're a Jet fan is, how much are you going to spend like a drunken sailor? Or are you going to position yourself with the right personnel around this quarterback in order to continue to build to get to that next level? 
because it's easy to spend $100 million. Oh, yeah, let's bring in Le'Veon Bell. Oh, yeah, let's get this wide receiver. Yes, let's get this defensive lineman. Let's get this pass rusher. Let, and then the next thing you know, the $100 million is gone in like two or three players. And then what are you left with? Scraps. And you're left with albatrosses of contracts. Now, I understand that they're not guaranteed. But remember, since we are dealing with a salary cap, if you're going to pay Le'Veon Bell $50 million guaranteed and you're going to pay pass rusher X $40 million guaranteed and you're going to pay left tackle $50 million guaranteed, you see where all the money's going to get uh, dried up and then what are you going to do from there? So McCagnan has to be smart here in this offseason and not just think that by bringing in these top-flight players that all of a sudden this team is going to be worthy of a playoff position next year or, you know, of a berth in the playoffs. So, that, I mean, that's where we're at with the Jets. So we'll continue to monitor it as we go along, but you're not going to hear anything about Bulls being fired. And the bye probably comes at a good time because they play New England at the end of that. And New England coming off that loss yesterday, you know they're going to be chomping at the bit to get back on the field. So that is probably the last team that the Jets needed to play after taking a week off. But we'll see. As far as the Giants are concerned, they played a night in San Francisco. Remember last year they lost the game in San Francisco? And who knows what Nick Mullins, what he did in against the Raiders there on that Thursday night a couple Thursdays ago. We'll uh, see how – hey, listen, we all know the Giants season has been long gone. But you would think they cannot play any worse than they have, and this would be a great starting point for them to bounce back because they should be able to beat this Niner team. Just like we thought the Jet team should beat the Bill team. And not to try to compare the Jets to the Giants, but – here they are at 1-7, and seven, and the Jets actually have a better record. So that just goes to show you the direction of where these franchises are going at this very moment. But we'll see. Giants in San Francisco tonight, Monday night, and we'll certainly recap that as well as uh, whomever they play next week. Off the top of my head, I even I got to look at the schedule, which we'll get to in a matter of moments as we go around the league here. All right, we'll trim some fat with some games, and we'll start off in Cincinnati. You know, a lot of people thought that the Saints would go – into Paul Brown Stadium after their performance against the Rams last week as a letdown game. Oh, well, that certainly was not the case as they went 51-14 to the tune of the defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin, for the Bengals getting fired today. And the Bengals, I didn't know about this, but they have now given up over 500 yards in the last three games and historically is on a pace to be the worst defense ever for a single season in the history of the National Football League. So, That just goes to show you where the Bengals are at. And crazy as this may sound, that even with the loss yesterday, they would have the sixth seed in the AFC if the season ended today. And they're five and four. So the Bengals, who are trying to get back on a little bit of a winning streak after beating the Buccaneers and trying to keep pace with the Steelers, which we'll get to in a little while, Certainly did uh, look awful in their performance against the Saints, and the Saints are looking like world beaters right now. Saints are 8-1 and one with the Rams, and I guess we'll go to that game yesterday against the Seahawks. The biggest play in this game was at 29-24, the fumble by Russell Wilson recovered, and then they punched it into the end zone, and they uh, took a 36-24 lead, although the Seahawks came back to score and were actually driving in the final seconds, but on fourth down, an incompletion there on the left sideline to Tyler Lockett as the Seahawks, who have fought hard. And they've been in a lot of their games this year, but they're 4-5. and five, And certainly 
looks like it's going to be an uphill battle to try to make the postseason, and the NFC is going to be a logjam. We'll certainly get into the whole early playoff picture for both conferences. But Seahawks lose a tough game, and the Rams now 9-1 and as they get set for their showdown next Monday in Mexico City of all places against the Kansas City Chiefs, who won their game against the Cardinals 26-14. Matter of fact, Pat Mahomes, another t- a couple more touchdowns in this game to the point where now he's the all-time single-season touchdown holder for quarterback, which he had eclipsed Len Dawson's uh, record going back, I guess it's in the 60s. I don't recall exactly what year, but good for Mahomes as his magic season continues to just sparkle right in front of our eyes. Uh, let's see, another trim fat game. What about the Falcons' performance? Here they are. They come all the way back. They were 1-4. They even their record 500, and they go to Cleveland and lay an egg. Just a pathetic performance. Give credit to Baker Mayfield. And it's interesting. I want to say this about Mayfield. Now, I didn't watch this game, and I've watched Mayfield uh, just a couple times here. Mayfield, I tell you, man, he's a tough SOB. You know, he stays in that pocket, takes hits, and for a rookie, you kind of wonder if they made the right decision. Now, it's very early. I'm not going to try to tweak the Jet fan with the whole Sam Donald issue. But Mayfield, a lot of people was scared off by his size, six foot. The Browns certainly weren't. They must have seen something that obviously we didn't see because a lot of people thought, hey, Sam Darnold was high on a lot of draft boards as well as Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, et cetera. But I, you know what? I like Mayfield, and I can't stand the Browns. I hope they never do anything well, especially because they play in the division with the Steelers. But you got to give him credit. He's certainly been – he's been exactly what Cleveland needed. As we all know, the Browns have certainly been football Siberia since pretty much since they've come back into the league. You know, one playoff performance in almost 20 years. So give credit to Mayfield. Give credit to their coaching staff for them uh, to upend the Falcons as they try to get back into the playoff mix, which that certainly hasn't been the case. So they're also 4-5. and five. All right, now i got to talk about the paper Tiger Jaguars. Yes, the Jacksonville Jaguars. 29 points in the first half. That defense, I understand Andrew Luck has been on a resurgence here. The offensive line has gotten healthy. But to put up 29 points and a half, now they shut him out in the second half, so you got to give him credit there. But the game, not to say it was out of reach, they scratched and clawed back. Bortles actually had a pretty good game, but uh, it was not enough. 29-26, Jacksonville 3-6, and six, I tell you. If that team is not a one-hit wonder, I haven't seen one. What a disgrace by that team. I get it that they came into this year with Super Bowl aspirations, and I, it didn't help that Jalen Ramsey popped off his mouth in that GQ article because that was like a kiss of death. Anytime you get the young, brash player who's had a little bit of success, read a little bit of those press clippings, that's not to knock him as a player because we all know he's a top-flight corner. But at the same time, son, you got to do it more than once. You know, one year is not going to cut it. You got to do this consistently year in and year out. And I guess because of that, he had his chest popped out, ready to say what was on his mind, and it's coming back to bite him. Not to put it all on him because we all know their offense is – Certainly been inept at times this year, but their defense has certainly not carried their own weight. So 29-26, and the Jaguars are going to be long gone to the point where the Sunday night game this coming Sunday was going to be Pittsburgh at Jacksonville, but they moved it to 1 o'clock. But I'll talk about that more later on. So Jaguars certainly not looking uh, too well here considering everything that happened with them last year becoming, you know, getting one game within a Super Bowl. The Bears, 34-22. Trubisky is continuing to, you know, just showing a lot of improvement here over the course of the season. 335 yards. And the Lions, what could you say? Another long year for them. 
Lions, you know, they have the talent. And even with Patricia at the helm, they just have not seemed to be on the same page. Bears are looking at a big season where now they're the Sunday night game as they're going to host the Minnesota Vikings, which is going to be a good one. That's going to be the division right there. Vikings are 5-3-1. and one. Bears are 6-3. and three, So that is an enormous game there in the NFC North, which we'll see coming Sunday night. Redskins and Buccaneers. Redskins beat the lowly Bucks. Uh, what could you say about the, the Tampa? Fitzmagic, that great start, and then now they're pretty much an afterthought. Redskins, 6-3 and three, atop the division. Good for them. They're not a sexy team. There isn't anything that's sexy about them as far as their identity is concerned, but they continue to win. I know they hit or miss. You know, Atlanta went in there last week into their building and beat them, but here they are. They bounce back in a game where, let's face it, we know the Bucs are going to cut bait with their coach. Who knows if they're going to cut bait with their quarterback and Jameis Winston, the number one pick from a few years back. But uh, as it is right now, the Redskins are atop the NFC East and to stick with the NFC East, the Cowboys with a very impressive win, which saved their season for now at four and five. And the Eagles right now are certainly, let's face it, they are taking in water in their ship. Both teams are four and five, Dallas and Philly. The only thing that bodes well for the Eagles is that they have not played the Redskins yet. So if somehow, some way, if they can just continue to keep pace and beat the Redskins in those two games, then they'll control their destiny from here on out, but right, certainly not looking good. And not going to play the Redskins for a couple more weeks. I believe the first Sunday in December, the December 2nd game, which it's actually a Monday night game, now that I think about it, and it's in Philly. So if they could just hold the fort until then, they'll be fine. But they actually have a very tough schedule. They still have to play the Rams, and they still have Tennessee, I believe, on the docket. Houston's also coming into their building. So the schedule is not easy. The Redskins certainly have control of the division right now, but Philly still has a glimmer of hope. Dallas, on the other hand, they're going to need a lot of work to get there considering they already have a division loss against Washington. It helps that they beat Philadelphia. And they'll see them, I believe, on Thanksgiving, Washington, at Dallas. So that's going to be a big game for Dallas to try to get themselves back in the NFC East mix. So certainly uh, keep your... Eyes glued to that, especially for those uh, here locally as there's a lot of uh, NFC East flavors we all know with the Giants, and I'm sure you know they still have games to play with them. Dallas at the last game of the season, they still have to go to Philly and to Washington. So obviously we could see that unfold right here in front of our very eyes. The Patriots, Titans, a little bit of a shocker from the standpoint of 34-10. Kind of reminded me of that New England-Detroit Sunday night game in a sense where you had the teacher versus the pupil and how the Vrabel and Patricia, they outmastered the master and Bill Belichick. Now the Titans with Mariota, and it's so weird. You know, Mariota from one week to the next, he looks like a guy that can't play in the league. And then you look at a game like yesterday, and he was able to, I'm not going to say shred their defense, but – they come out of the gate 14 points at a 17-3 lead early on first quarter. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, the Belichick didn't even, you know, was he preparing for somebody else? And Mariota, let's face it, he's had his moments. I understand that. But he certainly hasn't been that overall impressive quarterback that a lot of people thought he was going to be when he came out of Oregon. I understand he's had some injuries and he hasn't been full throttle as far as his health is concerned. 
But at the same time, for him to put up the numbers he has, and that goes to show you where the Patriot defense is. We all know the Patriot defense is not anywhere near of your daddy's Pat's defense where you had Vince Wolfork and Teddy Bruschi, Ronnie Harrison, you know, guys like that. And, of course, Mike Vrabel, to name another guy who's now, of course, the coach of the Titans. Uh, so big win for the Titans yesterday as they keep pace with the Texans in the AFC South. Chargers, Raiders, what can you say there? Raiders are they have the number one pick written all over that. And I think that uh, there's no other team. Granted, the Niners who beat them earlier this year, as we talked about earlier, and the Arizona Cardinals, they're the only other two teams in the league that are right behind them with two wins. But the Raiders, what's there to say here? Chargers are 7-2 and two now. And I haven't looked through their schedule. I know they lost to the Chiefs and Rams, so hey, nothing wrong with that. But they're going to have a big game with Kansas City here in the coming weeks. Remember, they lost to them in week one. And the Chargers, it's crazy. They're 7-2, and two, but if they were in the wild card situation now, they'd be a fifth seed. And they actually have a better record than the Steelers, but of course the Steelers lead the division, so that's why you're not going to hear them as far as being a one or two seed in the AFC. So something just to keep in mind there. Dolphins, Packers, Packers win 31-12, so they bounce back after those two tough losses on the road to the Rams and the Patriots. Dolphins, uh, well, listen, they're a 5-4 team, but certainly not a 5-4 team that you're going to take seriously in the AFC. Uh, they're going to be in the playoff mix, but uh, you would think that they're going to probably fade out here at some point considering they got off to that 3-0 start. And uh, let's see, what am I missing here? Did I cover everything? Cardinals, Chiefs, yeah, I mentioned that. And the Thursday night game, let's go to that real quick. Steelers and Panthers. Just a weird first five minutes of the game. Panthers march down the field. McCaffrey gets a touchdown, 7-0. And then after the kickoff, 75-yard touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster, 7-up. Just seconds later after the kick, Cam Newton, I don't know what he was doing throwing that pass, despite the fact being pressured by T.J. Watt. Picked off Vince Williams to the end zone. Three touchdowns in 23 seconds, which I believe is the fastest in NFL history. But then pretty much from there, the Steelers were in cruise control to the point they had a 24-7 lead. Panthers came down to make it 24-14. But then right after that, Antonio Brown up the sideline, beating the rookie cornerback in uh, Jackson to make it 31-14. And they pretty much uh, just took off from there. Steelers only had one penalty in the game, which is great to see because early on in the season, they were just was laundry all over the field considering it seemed every other play there was a penalty on the Steelers. They're catching their stride at the right time. They're putting some distance between them and the Bengals and Ravens in the division. Right now, they are a two-seed. It is way too far to look down the road here because we've still got six games to go. Teams that haven't even had their buys yet, including New England, which got a bunch of buys next week, six teams, including the whole AFC East, if you can believe that. And I believe it's the Cardinals. Wait, it's the whole AFC East, San Francisco and Cleveland are the buys for this coming week. But the Steelers, what could you say? Roethlisberger's 22 for 25, 328, five TDs. Touchdowns of five different players. And I understand a lot of the talks to me, Le'Veon Bell. And if he doesn't report by, I believe, at some point tomorrow, that's it. And I understand this may be easy for me to say. And I've said this time and time again, if you've listened to the previous podcasts. Even if the Steelers were at dying for a running back. Even if they were looking to put me in their backfield. I wouldn't want Le'Veon on this team. I know players are saying the right things. I know early on in the year we talked about how the offensive linemen were upset. Some of the guys had come out and 
voiced a displeasure against Le'Veon, saying that he promised that he was going to be back by week one or before the season or by whatever it was, week seven, eight, around the bye, and he certainly hasn't shown up. Well, guess what? Le'Veon and his agent, because he's also one to blame here, you can preserve yourself for the rest of this year. We don't need you. I understand you can look at that and say, hey, well, you're not in my shoes, my guy. You're not playing, so on and so forth. Well, guess what? You had an opportunity. I understand, hey, you had $14 million on the table. I understand you're trying to preserve your body. I get that. But you know what? There comes a point where you know that the team, and for your sake, that you're going to go into next season looking for the big payday, and if you haven't played a snap this year, guess what? You're not going to get anything close to what you got based on what you did in the past. They're going to look at what you did this past year. And as of right now, it looks like you're not going to be part of this team. So guess what? You just screwed yourself with millions of dollars and guaranteed money at that. And listen, it would have been great for him to be on the ride to be a part of this team. But obviously he chose himself, which, all right, obviously he has the right to do that. But I think it's going to hurt him more in the long run. And right, it's easy for me to say that being a Monday morning quarterback. And I get that, hey, this is part of me having the show to voice my opinion. And in this case, my displeasure at what Le'Veon did, but guess what? I'm sure a lot of Steel fans feel the same way. That if he came back and he was on the team and playing this coming Sunday, you're going to root for the guy. You're not going to say get out of here. But at the same time, there's going to be a little, eh, I don't know. And that's how I feel. I don't want him back. If he comes back, you're going to have to root for the man. And you only hope he performs anywhere close to what he has done over the last few years. But guess what? The minute he fumbles a ball in a key moment, the minute he drops a ball in a key moment, the minute he rushes for 20 yards in a game and he gets booed, he's got to take it. The old saying, you made your bed, now you got to lay in it. So that's the deal there with the Steelers and what's going on there as they're playing uh, very well here over the last five weeks as they uh, have a five-game winning streak going into Jacksonville. And as we talk about the week 11 here, you don't have any sexy matchups In fact, you have a lot of games that could be kind of a loser-goes-home type of scenario. Packers-Seahawks, the Thursday night game, you figure one of those two teams could be gone for the season. Both teams on the outside looking in the NFC. Bengals-Ravens, that's going to be a big game. Uh, It's pretty much the Ravens' season. They lose this game. They're probably not going to even sniff the postseason, and who knows what's going to happen with Harbaugh after that. Titans-Colts, which is going to be a very interesting matchup as the Colts try to get to 500, come all the way back where the Titans want to continue to keep the uh, pedal on the metal. Texans and Redskins actually is an interesting matchup from a standpoint of two division leaders going up against one another. And then you have Eagles-Saints, where the Eagles are going to be fighting for their lives to go down there in New Orleans. To, they could be looking at the end of their season. Then you have the Vikings and Bears, which was a very good Sunday night. And, of course, the Chiefs-Rams Monday night which uh, could be a possible Super Bowl preview. So, you know what? You actually do have some interesting games. Not necessarily from sexy games or games that you're going to look at from a standpoint like, oh, you know, must-see TV. But, you know, you do have some matchups that you could circle and say, ah, you know, I'd like to see how you know what the outcome is going to be there. Cowboys-Falcons, I didn't mention. So you have a lot of these games this week where you're pretty much going to see some separation from guys or teams that are going to be on the precipice or on the fringe of making the postseason, or you could say goodbye to 2018. That's pretty much what you're looking at here this upcoming week in the NFL. And as we go through the standings real quick, well, we'll start with the NFC because the NFC is more jumbled. We talked about Minnesota-Chicago. 
Green Bay is a game and a half behind the Bears, considering they have the tie. Carolina now two games behind New Orleans there, but you have a bunch of four and five teams, whether it's Seattle, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's well, Green Bay will consider them four and five, even though they're four, four and one. Dallas, Philadelphia. So they got all those teams there trying to look to get anything of a five and six seed. So you pretty much have like nine teams for those four spots. And especially for those two spots when you're talking about the wild card. So I also include, you know, guys like Washington. You can't, the Rams are off and running. They've already clinched that division. But you also have New Orleans at two games back. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the Carolina's two games back in New Orleans. The NFC North is a bit of a challenge, as well as the NFC East. And then the AFC, you have Casey and Pittsburgh right now. Well, let, real quick, NFC, you have uh, Rams. And Saints, now remember, the Saints are 8-1, and one, so the Rams right now currently ha- would have a one seed. But when all is said and done, once the Dubai and how that evens out, remember, they have the tiebreaker. So then you have your three and four seed would be Bears, Redskins, or I got to look at the, break, the, the tiebreakers on that. But you figure those would be your three and four seeds, and then obviously all those other teams I mentioned in the mix for the two wildcard spots. And in the AFC, you have KC, Pittsburgh, followed by New England, then Houston. And then you have your mix of your five and four, four and five teams. Well, of course you have the Chargers at seven and two, but then you have your Tennessees, your Cincinnati's, your Dolphins. Dolphins are five and five. I mentioned they were five and four, but then now they're at 500 right now. So you have those teams that are in the mix there for the wildcard position in the AFC, so a lot to chew on here over the course of the next six weeks, and I tell you, it's going to get wild and wacky here in this NFL season, so you know, fasten your seatbelts, NFL fans. I know you're going to be ready for this ride, and uh, week 11 just days away, but first, tonight, a game in San Francisco between the Giants and the 49ers. And as far as college football is concerned, nothing much to discuss here. You had all the top teams winning this past weekend, and as we look forward to this coming weekend, not much on the schedule to really sink your teeth into unless you're looking at right here in our backyard, Yankee Stadium, where you have number 13 Syracuse has had a phenomenal season. I mean, who would have ever thought that Syracuse would be back on a college football map quicker than the basketball team? But they'll play Notre Dame in uh, an interesting matchup right here at Yankee Stadium, as I mentioned. To me, that is the – I would think that's probably the best game on the docket come Saturday. I understand have a bunch of other games and – You look forward to the week after, especially with Thanksgiving weekend. You have all those big games, including Ohio State-Michigan, which we'll talk about then. But college football, not really anything, at least for me, to get into or to discuss. Well, Alabama, another shutout this past weekend. Listen, Alabama right now, they're looking as if they're going to just cruise to another title. Barring anything that's unforeseen, I don't think Nick Saban and company are going to have a letdown by any stretch. And even if they were to lose an SEC championship, they're still going to be in the top four. So for those out there, including myself, that cannot stand Alabama, they're going to be there. So you're just going to have to deal with it and hope they get picked off there in one of those two games in the semifinal or in the final for the national title in college football. Because right now, they are just looking unstoppable. Their defense is just has been the same. They, they've been a, just a wrecking ball on their opponents here, and uh, we'll just have to uh, wait and see uh, as we get close to the end of the season whether or not they're going to be uh, upset or 
picked off here, and I hope that's the case. I do not want to see Saban and his cranky-looking mug on that sideline winning another national title. I just I can't. You know, it's like rooting for Duke right now, and uh, that's all there is to it. So not much excitement there as far as college football is concerned. As far as the NBA, let me uh, switch gears and go there before I get to the baseball stuff because I know a lot of people are probably curious to find out what's going to happen with this hot stove and what's happening here locally and throughout Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. But the basketball stuff is uh, interesting considering that we're a little over three weeks in. And quickly with the locals, I mean, the Knicks, if it wasn't for the Hawks, they'd be 2-10. and 10. I mean, that's how bad they, their season has been. They got wasted by the Magic there last night. Certainly have not played well. You even had a little bit of a controversy last week with uh, David Fisdale, the coach, when broached about Kristaps Porzingis, about his progression as far as his health and his knees concerned. And he says that, well, you know, he's not running hard, but, you know, slowly but surely he's coming back into the mix as far as uh, just running is concerned. And then what do you see on his Instagram page? You see Porzingis running laps, sprinting on a track somewhere, I guess maybe probably outside of the uh, practice facility, There, you, you see him there as if he's uh, training for the 2020 Olympics. So who to believe here? I don't know if that was a little gamesmanship on Porzingis' part, saying, oh, yeah, coach, I'll show you. Well, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. But Porzingis, I understand he wants to get back, and he, he's probably feeling healthy. But, again, when you're coming back from an ACL, we all know how that uh, unfolds. So that's pretty much it with the Knicks. And the Nets have actually played pretty well despite losing to Golden State the other night. Had a big win in Denver, which Denver has gotten off to a great start. I know they've lost their last three, but they would start off 9-1. and one, So that's a big win for a young Brooklyn team. But the top stories here in the NBA, Jimmy Butler finally gets traded. I know I was on his case for the last uh, pretty much the last month, whether it was how he performed during a training camp, yelling and screaming and cursing at his players during a practice and then pretty much dictating when it is that he's going to play on back-to-backs, gets traded to Philadelphia, which I thought was a big move because Philly, they've gotten off to a slow start. They've actually played a little bit better. They play in Miami tonight, so I'm sure you'll see Butler on the court with his new teammates. But the situation with Butler now, that's finally over and done with in Minnesota to the tune of where Carl Anthony Towns and even Andrew Wiggins had said nice things about Butler. So even Wiggins had said, hey, you know, I learned a lot from him. Uh, hopefully I could take this team to the next level from what I've learned. You know, pretty much paraphrasing what he had said about Butler. But now he's got to put his money where his mouth is. He's going to a team that, going into the season, had aspirations of playing in an Eastern Conference final, maybe even going to an NBA final. Everybody knows how I feel about Butler. I think he's a very good player. To me, he's a, he's a two. He's not even a 1A. He's not a top dog on any team. He's not a max player. I think he he should fit well with these guys, and why not? But we'll see. Is he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year? Is he going to going to be a guy that's going to dance to his own beat? Is he going to pretty much take what he had in Minnesota? And I don't want to say he's going to infect the 76ers, but he's going to, like I said, dance to that same drum in uh, the city of brotherly love. Certainly remains to be seen, but uh, I, I thought it was a good move for them. They only gave up Robert Covington. Dario Sakic, which is a good uh, player. Or Saric, excuse me. Saric is a good player. And Jared Bayless. So they didn't really give up any. Obviously, they weren't going to give up Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. So they bring back Butler. And a good move there. 
And then one other move I think that the 76ers should implore, or explore, I should say, is what's going down in Houston. Because the Rockets right now, from all the sources that you hear and read, that the teammates think that Carmelo Anthony could be out as far as playing in a Rocket uniform. Now, he's had this quote-unquote illness. He has not played the last couple of games. There's been a lot of talk with GM Daryl Morey about the role for Carmelo moving forward. Remember, he's coming off the bench. His production is certainly has not been anywhere close to what it once was. Now, we get that. I mean, he's getting older. You know, you don't expect him to average 20 points a game, but he's barely averaging 14 a game. He's certainly not the same player. And the only reason why, and Carmelo has to come to grips where he's at in his career, he is not an all-star player. He's not even a good player. Carmelo is a guy that would be best relegated and best suited to come off a bench for anywhere between 14 to 18 minutes a game and try to put up instant offense. He's not going to give you defense. He's not going to give you anything close to the type of offensive caliber that he once was as a player back in you know his mid-20s. He's going to be a guy that's going to be catch and shoot, perimeter, and that's it. And if you want to get some instant offense, you can only hope to get that from a veteran guy that could be around a younger team with a lineup that has a big man in Embiid, a very above average, a very good and above average passer like Ben Simmons. I understand you got a guy like J.J. Redick on there, but you know what? I'm sure that they would welcome him with open arms. He doesn't have to play a lot of defense, and hopefully he could be their version of Vinny Johnson if anybody remembers him from the bad boy Piston days. And I always thought that he was well-suited to go there before going to Houston. And I know that what's-his-name came out today, Jalen Rose said, oh, Philadelphia should be the destination where he goes. Well, I called that out months ago. To me, Houston was not a good fit for him. I understand Houston was that close to getting to an NBA final last year and having Carmelo to be that guy, but no. To me, the Rockets didn't need Carmelo. I thought the Sixers needed him more considering they didn't have a guy that in the clutch that where you need a jumper in the last minute of a game, that Carmelo would be your guy. Now, he's not that player anymore, and unless if he does go to Philly, could he be that guy to do that? That remains to be seen. So who knows? I mean, it's not official. It's not a done deal. But Carmelo looks like he could be on his way out and maybe off to another NBA stop, you would think. I mean, I don't think it's the end for him. And I understand people may think, oh, he should go to L.A. with LeBron. Uh, To me, that would just be a waste. If anybody's thinking that by him going to L.A. to team up with LeBron is going to jumpstart or rejuvenate this season or his career, uh, they're going to be absolutely mistaken. I mean, why? They don't need him. They just brought in Tyson Chandler, who's bringing in, who's brought some more energy, infused a little life into that team as now they're above 500. Remember, just last week we were talking about how Luke Walton may have been on the hot seat with Magic Johnson. But, of course, the vote of confidence that he got, and they've performed very well here to the point where now they've won three straight games, seven and six, and it looks like uh, they're trending upward. So that's the deal you have there with Carmelo and even with the Lakers for that, uh, for that matter. And then as far as the Celtics are concerned, you know, I've lost four or five on this road trip. 
the one game they actually they should have got swept on this road trip. Let's face it. The game in Phoenix, they were down seven points with 90 seconds to go. But because Phoenix is young and inexperienced, the Celtics came back and won an overtime. And if it wasn't for that game, they would have been 0 for 5. So now, here they are at 7-6. and 6. Is the sky falling? No. It's not to get crazy. But you do have some dynamics on this team that need to be addressed. And I don't worry about the coach. Of course, I have a lot of faith in Brad Stevens. But remember... This is going to be a very interesting time for him because, as we all know, when he first came to the Celtic team, he was pretty much working from the ground up. And now that he's built his resume, and we all know one of the bright young coaches in the game, top coach, the next Popovich, all this acclaim, and and some of it deservedly so, but let's pump the brakes. Now that he actually has a team to coach, and he did a stupendous job, to march that team to a Game 7, considering that he didn't have his two best players. But now that he has them back in the mix, and Hayward, who got booed in Utah, and had, let's face it, I understand there's, there's some hesitancy on his part with his health, and he hasn't probably been fully 100%, not necessarily from a physical standpoint, but from a mental and psychological standpoint, because you got to factor that in. And not only that, but dealing with the rotation where Terry Rozier has not been happy with his playing time, although he had a very good game, Last night, but has not been happy with his playing time. And having to deal with all these players in a mix where, let's face it, despite the fact that this is a young team, you do have some veteran presence here, and they're going to take precedence because of what they're getting paid, in particular Hayward, what they're getting paid, and he's going to steal some of that playing time from a guy like Jalen Brown, or even to a certain extent, Kyrie is going to get those minutes more so than he would get Terry Rozier. And we know that Rozier's a backup, let's face it. It's not that they're going to split minutes, but when Rozier's only getting a handful of minutes and Jalen Brown to a certain extent, and despite the fact that you could have all these different types of lineups and mix and match, what have you, there's going to be some, I'm not going to go as far as saying turmoil, but there's going to be some grumblings there. And this is where Stevens is going to really face his first challenge here as a coach. Because there could be a possibility where Rozier could be dealt here. It's possible. And I'm not saying that there's a rumor or I'm not saying that there's a trade in the works, but you got to think about this, people. Rozier, I'm sure he could start on 20 other clubs in the NBA. And you would think that if the Celtics, and with the way Danny Ainge has been very shrewd in his deals, could you see a deal being executed here at some point. Not that it's going to happen in the days or weeks to come, but at some point during the season, before the All-Star break, before the deadline. I just say that now because to take heed, Celtic fans, it's not to get crazy. It's not to go to the nearest bridge and say, oh, my goodness, you know, we started off 16-2 and last year, and here we are, just a game over 500. It's a long season. Not get crazy. But I will say this. They have a matchup on Friday, nationally televised, against Toronto. And Toronto has come out of the gate like gangbusters. To the point where it's making my over-under pick look very bad. I thought Kawhi, I understand rejuvenated his last year before he becomes a free agent. I thought there was going to be just something off. You know, new coach. I didn't think that they were, whatever that number was, 54 and a half. I just thought that they would be right at that number, but they'll be below, and I picked them as an under. <laughs> 13 games in, that pick is not looking very good. 
So that's what you have there with the NBA. Uh, the NHL, real quick. The locals, you know, the Devils are sliding. Same with the Islanders. The Islanders were in first place last week when we spoke, and now they've lost three in a row, so they've not fallen in the middle of the pack. You know, that division is separated by seven points, and we even talked about it last week. I think they were separated by six points. But the Devils have continued to just flounder. Islanders are now floundering. And the Rangers give them some credit, although they lost a key guy in their uh, their lineup. He's out for six weeks with a broken thumb, but they've actually played pretty well here. So give them credit because a lot of people thought that they were going to be well out of the playoff picture. And again, we're only a month and change in, so not to get crazy, but just to kind of touch base on that. Uh, a couple other things which I thought were pretty fascinating. Joel Quenville, who's the second winningest coach of all time in the NHL, which I, I almost fell on my chair when I read that. I couldn't believe that despite the fact he won three cups in five years with the Blackhawks there from 2010 to 2015, and we know he's been a coach in this league for uh, forever, but for him to be the second winningest coach of all time, I couldn't believe it. And you would think that considering he has three cups in his back pocket, he's you would think he's had a Hall of Fame career. Well, he gets fired. Last week he was replaced by Jeremy Colleton, who was, the, who was I should say, the head of the AHL Blackhawks affiliate. So now he's been promoted as coach. So we'll see if that does anything to a Blackhawk team where Certainly the last couple of years, they've fallen on hard times. Now, granted, they had a ton of success there in the early 2000s and into the mid-2000s. So we'll see if that does anything. The uh, Also, the other thing I want to mention, this is for my hockey fight fans. <clears throat> in particular, there's two guys I follow on Twitter. I just got to mention this. Farmer Rob and Leaf Fan 1920 I get that the hockey fan that's under 30, they're not going to appreciate this. And it's a shame because this was part of the sport. It's like the NFL fan now. If the NFL fan hates the excessive violence and the hitting, oh, my God, this is terrible. Well, go back and watch some of those games from the 70s and 80s, and you're going to – please, there'll be still flags on the field considering all the hits and how vicious the game was back then. As far as the NHL is concerned, the game was a zillion times better in the 70s, 80s, and dare I even say into the early 90s. But by then – Fighting was starting to get phased out. My point in all this is there was an incident last week where Milan Lucic had run at Matthew Joseph again on Tampa. And Joseph had run one of the Oilers' top players. I don't think it was Connor McDavid. But he ran one of their players, and then Lucic came on the ice and like a shark was just out there, and he was looking for him. And you could look in the video, you know, check the video on YouTube or somebody on Twitter has it. Those two guys I mentioned, they're funny guys, great guys. Where Luchik's then, he finds him, he hits him, gives him a check, doesn't come off his feet. The player, Joseph, falls to the ice, and then Luchik falls on top of him to try to goad him into a fight. Now, of course, he has the, well has the upper hand, not only on top of him, but he could just pound him, wail away. Does not do that. Of course, all the players converge, they try to separate, etc. To the point where some of these people are looking to, oh, this guy needs to be suspended. I just explained though how that play shook down. If there, if a suspension would have went out for Luchik on that play, then the, there needs to be an investiga- investigation on the league because that was just a disgrace to think that a lot of these fans wanted Luchik to be suspended for just a, let's face it, a meaningless hit, but a hit that was necessary considering that Joseph hit one of the top players. Instead, he got fined 10K, which that, to me it didn't even warrant a fine. You know, he didn't cheap shot him. Again, he didn't come off his feet. 
and check them into the boards or anything like that. It's just a shame how this game, which was once a man's game, and it was a game that I followed religiously. I would look at box scores to see who fought the night before, whatever, and I understand the game's about goal scoring and wins. I get that. But to me, part of the game was intimidation, was sending messages, was being physical, all that. And it is not a shell of its old self. It is 20 shells of its old self. So I just had to throw that in the mix for the young hockey fan that's out there that's probably shaking their heads or just gasping in hard to say, oh, my God, Jay Reels, I can't believe you would say that. Well, go back to the tape and you'll see for yourself on how the game was then and the way it is now. It's not the same. And uh, one last thing before I wrap this up, which I thought was very fascinating. A, and nobody brought this up. I actually thought about this. And I said to myself, has there been a player in any of the leagues? Now, not the NFL, because you have to be at least 20 to be in the NFL. Possibly the NBA. But I think the youngest player in the NBA was 19. And we know Tatum last year, but for this year, I think the youngest player is 19. I was pondering the thought of who is the first player born in the 2000s, born in this millennium on a pro sports team. I'm not talking tennis or golf. I'm talking about pro sports. To be on a roster, to be playing on a team at this very moment. Because you figure that in the NHL, there has to be some 18-year-old that's playing that was born in the year 2000. And I thought maybe an NBA player, but that's not the case. Well, there is one. So the answer to that trivia question is, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's a kid that plays on a Montreal Canadiens. His name is Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Yeah, I said that. Kotkaniemi. So look him up. I don't know if he's going to be a top player, a big player. I couldn't even tell you right now because, again, that's how much I follow the sport. But I thought to myself, I said, wait a minute. There's got to be a guy that's in the league that was born in this millennium. He was born in 2000. And sure enough, that's the guy. So I'm sure it hasn't been brought up in any circles. I haven't read it, seen it, anything. So here's a guy that will be a trivia question from now until the next millennium, which is now the 3,000. But let's say 2,100, whoever's going to be – but. Very, I thought it was just very interesting. I know it's corny. I know it's like, oh, who cares? But guess what? That's what trivia is for, right? So there you go. I'm sure maybe somewhere on Jeopardy, considering Alex Trebek is Canadian, and they'll probably have a crazy question regarding sports. Well, there you go, people. I'm sure it'll probably pop up in the next two to five years. So just uh, put that feather in your cap for uh, somewhere down the road or maybe some trivia game in your near future. And uh, two other things before we say goodbye. Let me just make sure I got everything covered here. Yeah, two things before we say goodbye, and this will be really quick. Oh, no, I didn't even talk about the baseball stuff. All right, let's zoom through that real quick. How dare I? I know I'm an hour in. I try to get these in within an hour, but there's just so much to chew on here. Baseball, Yankees. I'm going to start there with CeCe Sabathia. I would have not have brought him back at one year and $8 million. I'm sorry. He's a guy that, no offense, I'm sure he's a good guy. Never met him. I would love to get a chance to interview him at one point. I know he has a podcast, et cetera, but if you're Cashman, you bring back Brett Gardner the week before, which he had, I'm going to say, you had no business bringing him back. Why? He's 35 years old. His production's on the decline. You could have got another guy in there, Michael Brantley, even if you want a left-handed stick. I understand he's not going to play the outfield, but you want to bring in Daniel Murphy or Michael Brantley, who is an outfielder. You could have done that instead. Right. It probably wouldn't have cost you $9 million as it did for Brett Gardner, but still, you want to get younger, a little bit more athletic, and despite the fact that Gardner is athletic, but he's certainly not the same player. I feel the same way about CeCe. He's aging. I understand he's crafty at his age at 39. He'll be 39 next year. 
I just thought the money could have went elsewhere. And I understand you're going to have Justice Sheffield and possibly Chance Adams fighting for a spot. But to me, if they wanted to bring in a pitcher, that money, that $8 million could have gone to Patrick Corbin. And get it. I, you know, the Yankees, they print money. I understand that they're going to – it doesn't really matter with the luxury tax going up. But to me, I, you take up a roster spot, and that's what it is. And CC, I maybe they want to put his number in Monument Park as well as Brett Gardner, which is a joke. Well, I mean, let's face it. You know, come on. But that's typical Yankees. I could see them. They wanted to, oh, we'll bring them back for one more year. And then down the road, I have their CC day and their Brett Gardner day. And if their numbers or plaques are even put up in Monument Park, I mean, give me a break. I'm sorry. CC more deserving than Brett Gardner, but th- that's just typical Yankees. You know, they're probably looking at the head to the future as opposed to just dumping them now. But, you know, that's just me saying that. Uh, and then you have the Mets. Their interest in Andrew Miller. I To me, that's buyer beware. He was hurt last year. He had three different injuries. He's 34 years old. I understand he's an upgrade. I understand that he's a guy that, yes, if he was healthy, I would certainly sign him. But to me, is how long and how much. I understand that Brody Van Wagenen is now the new sheriff in charge. It's not Sandy Alderson, but I do not want to have an Anthony Swarzak situation. And I'm not trying to compare Anthony Swarzak to Andrew Miller, but yes. I want to make sure that whomever it is that they sign is not only going to be worth the years and the money and not having to worry about, oh, geez, is his shoulder going to be acting up? Is his ankle? Is whatever. So please, I definitely don't want to deal with that. You also have uh, Joe Maurer retiring. And sad to say, I mean, he was off to a Hall of Fame career. Obviously not going to be the case considering that the injuries and certainly the production had waned over the what is it? I guess five, six years of his career, but certainly an all-time twin. Of course, he's going to have his number retired there. Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame. He's going to be there with Kirby Puckett and Harmon Killebrew and uh, a few others there. I'm sure that uh, on the top of the Tony Oliva, with Maurer retiring, you have another guy that's been with his not only his hometown team, but with one team for his whole career. So good for Maurer going off on his terms, even though he's 35 years old. I mean, just think about that. And then uh, as far as hot stove stuff, not really anything cooking. I, all you're hearing is just a lot of, and not even rumors. You know, the more concrete thing you're hearing is, is Bryce Harper and his camp with Scott Boris turning down that uh, 10-year, $300 million contract from the Nationals. But the Nationals say that, hey, we're still going to be in the mix here. This doesn't mean the end. And I guess they did that to save face because they were the ones that came out with it, not Boris. And... Listen, that's a 10 years, 300 million. Nobody's going to look at the Nationals management and say, oh, you could have done more. Now, I understand at this point, let's see if they're going to go up into 340, 350, whatever it may be. But, you know, it's not as if they said, hey, we're only going to give you five years at 200 million, which still accounts 40 million a year, but it's only five years at 200 million. So a lot of that I'm sure will kick up here in the days and weeks to come, but I don't think Machado or Harper. You may, you may wait until Christmas to hear anything come out of their camps because nobody's – I don't think anybody's going to sign him right away. And if they're going to sign them – and you got to also look at last year. Now, granted, you didn't have Machado or Harper on the on, – on that level like last year where a lot of these players didn't sign going up weeks until the exhibition season, you know, until spring training started. But I would think that these guys are not going to sign – Anytime before Christmas. I'd be surprised. Because these GMs, I'm sure 
they're going to weigh not just their options, but they're going to weigh the cost of these contracts. And despite both of these guys are 26 years old, that you know they're not going to be dishing out 400 million dollar contracts as if it's going out of style. So that's what you have there, as far as uh, MLB is concerned. And uh, two other quickies here before we say goodbye. I know everybody's crazy about what happened there the other day with Duke and Kentucky where Duke just obliterated the Wildcats there by 34 points. And you saw the man-child that is Zion Williamson. But you also have the two other guys, Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, who chances are could be one, two, three in a draft next year. This is a memo or shout-out to Stephen A. Smith. And I get its ratings and I get it Stephen A. Smith, but for him to come out and say that, oh, I think this team could be undefeated, can we at least get to the tournament before we start talking about undefeated? That one game, I understand it's Kentucky. I understand that they're a top flight team in Calipari. We get all that. But one game, you're going to talk about this team going to be unbe- is going to be undefeated? Stephen A., come back to earth. It's not like you're 25 years old and you haven't watched basketball in your life. And we get it that those guys are studs and I'm sure they're probably going to flirt. With perfection early on. But can we get to them playing North Carolina? Can we get to the tournament first? Can we even, let's say, maybe discuss this during the Final Four? Because if you forgot, just four years ago, we had a team in the aforementioned Kentucky Wildcats made it to a Final Four undefeated, and then they lost in the semifinal game to Wisconsin. So before you break out the blue and white pom-poms and start waxing poetic on how this Duke Blue Devil team is going to be the greatest college basketball team since the Indiana Hoosiers of 1976, uh, you need to pipe down. Fam, let's not get uh, carried away. And I understand it's ratings, and I understand you are who you are, and much props and much love to you, Stephen A., but (laughs) one game? Listen, they only beat, what did they play last night? Army, I think they played. And they beat them by like 24. Okay, so Army put up a better fight than Kentucky did. So you don't think a lot of these teams, I get it, I understand they don't have the same talent, but let's face it, two games in, let's not anoint this team out to be uh, UCLA Bruins of the 70s. So let's just uh, put that in the back burner. And then finally, Floyd Mayweather, who was actually at the Ram-Seahawk game yesterday, has now backed out of that New Year's Eve bout with the Japanese fellow, 20-year-old, saying that nothing was in place. I thought it was just going to be an exhibition. Obviously, the money wasn't right, which we all know it's about money when it comes to Mayweather, as if he doesn't have enough money to begin with, but that's neither here nor there. So for those who are anticipating a bout right before the ball drops there at the end of this year, it's not going to happen. So Mayweather has reneged, and we could all go about our business, and I just wanted to bring that up because I mentioned that last week on the program. So for those who are waiting for that and – at the edge of their seat, well, guess what? You could sit back comfortably and not have to worry about it because it's not going to happen. All right, people, I uh, appreciate you once again each and every week for listening to what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. Please continue to spread the word to those out there, whether through social media, whether you word of mouth, because that's just as important. I am uh, truly grateful and thankful for all that you do in supporting this program. You could go to my website at uh, jreels.com. I know I've been uh, trying to tweak things here and there with the site as far as putting up some uh, various posts, a gallery, 
uh, which you'll see in the weeks to come. But certainly keep an eye on that on the uh, website. Of course, you could subscribe at uh, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, all those platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from. Again, all that does, people, if you do subscribe, leave a rating, post a review, all that. Do it from your phone. It's very simple. Just a matter of minutes. Because what that does is increase the visibility of this program on the uh, sports podcast platform. And not only that, will just generate more interest in that universe as well as hopefully garner and uh, interest more guests. So I'd be remiss without saying that. And I understand that's a, a weekly thing until we continue just to gain popularity among the other podcasts in the sports universe. You could also check my social media sites, whether it's J Reels on Instagram, J Reels One, just a number on Twitter, and the J Reels Podcast on Facebook. Send me an email, questions, comments, criticism, praise, a DM, whatever it may be, at the the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, every Monday you'll hear me. I'll sprinkle in maybe a couple of podcasts in between, but uh, if you definitely want to get your Week started off on the right note as far as what happened in the world of sports this past week or what happened in the NFL yesterday or, hey, what did Jay Reels feel about Zion Williamson and the Duke Blue Devils? Then you come to the right place here. Each and every week, always coming correct, direct, and in full effect on the Jay Reels podcast. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the Jay Reels podcast, on the flip, David. <laughs>